Our final panel this afternoon is going to give us a look at uh, programs from the critical perspective of uh, program graduates. Uh, we've assembled a panel that includes three unique stories of how these individuals uh, found themselves in need of education and training, identified their programs of choice, and uh, persevered through to graduation. Uh, these stories illustrate the range of programs that employers are funding and also the variety of ways in which employers support education and training programs for their employees and also those in their communities. Our panelists this afternoon are uh, Guinness Blanco, uh, Training Manager McDonald's, Lisa Gaucher, City Council Member East Palo Alto, California, and Kimberly Vaughn, IT Project Manager, IT Governance, Federal Reserve Bank of St. Louis. There, uh, uh, and the, this panel is going to be moderated by Amanda Newman, my colleague and Senior Project Manager here at the Aspen Institute Economic Opportunities Program. Their full bios are in the programs if you would like to take a look at those. So Amanda, it's all yours. Thank you. And thank you all for joining us here today. I'm going to kind of keep my remarks brief because we have three incredible panelists and we're going to have a lot to talk about during this panel. But I do want to say that in my work at the Economic Opportunities Program, I focus on a variety of strategies to help connect people to good job opportunities, including the types of investments in education and skill building that we're talking about here today. On our first panel today, we talked about how investments and upskilling can support business value. In this panel, we're really going to zoom in and focus on the meaningfulness of these programs to the individuals who participate in them. When designed well, business-sponsored upskilling programs can be an important lever for increasing access to and completion of education and training that can support individuals to advance in their careers and earn higher income. These types of programs can be particularly valuable for adults who are often juggling different obligations, including work and family that might otherwise get in the way of pursuing additional education. And due to persistent inequalities that have produced gaps in educational attainment along lines of race and income, these programs, when designed well, can also help advance more equitable outcomes in terms of career opportunities. Fortunately for us, we have three truly incredible women on our panel who are experts in what works in upskilling programs. Uh, each participated in programs funded in whole or in part by their employers or by other businesses in their communities. Uh, Janie went ahead and introduced our panelists, but I'll give you just a little bit more information about the programs they participated in. Jenny's participated in several programs through um, Pathway, uh, Pathways to Opportunity, which is McDonald's training program. And Kim Vaughn participated in Launch Code in St. Louis. And Lisa participated in the Working Scholars Program in East Palo Alto. That's just a little bit more background, and we're going to get started with you, Jenny's. And I wanted to ask you, you participated in several programs through our Choice to Opportunity. Can you tell us a little bit about your story and how you first learned about these education benefits? Sure. So um, I moved out to the U.S. when I was a 16-year-old, so as a teenager. And uh, um, I was trying to balance a job and uh, school at the same time, which is uh, difficult. So uh, I 
I decided to go to school uh, to to work instead of school. Uh, but then moving from kitchen to the uh, cashier position, and then uh, was offered to me um, the position as a chief manager. I was so worried about taking the position uh, for not having the ability to provide feedback to employees because of the language to not solve uh, issue to the customers. So I was worried about to take the position. Then uh, my training manager uh, teach me about you know the English to uh, English under the archways, which is uh, one of the programs that I graduated from. So um, she teach me about the the, the program and that I could uh, achieve some skills to, to perform my job that which I took. Great. And then from there, you learned about another program. Yes, while I was taking classes, uh, uh, English classes, then I learned about a high school program. I was excited. Uh, I did graduate from high school in my country, but then trying to transfer credits from a different country to here sometimes they don't validate those, those studies. So it was that I had to start from the beginning. Uh, then I learned from a high school program that which I, I took and I graduated from. And you're currently participating in a third program right now. Yes. And the wish uh, is even more, ex more excited is that I'm not paying for. He said I'm not cost. So the only thing that I'm putting in is my time. This is a, a college tuition. I'm taking online classes in a Southern New Hampshire University. And I'm not paying for it. So I'm uh, working now uh, to master business. And this is also through an education benefit. Through Yes, through Ashway to Opportunity, which is uh, the program McDonald has for employees and family members, not just employees. And Ken, can you share a little bit about why you chose to enroll in a launch code training program? So I, I have to piggyback a little bit off Anna's. Um, number one, it was free. And um, so being in the situation that I was in uh, post-divorce in the middle of the recession, um, there was just no way that I could afford to go back to school. And uh, obviously the economy was very hard, that there were no good jobs to take care of a family. So Launch Code really appealed to me. And there was a program called Coder Girls, uh, which was, I, I don't want to say just marketing towards women. I mean, they allow men too, but my majority was women in this group. and. Uh, women that were learning tech and I was interested in learning tech and that was just something that was rare to see because um, it's used to be a male dominated field. <laughs> so we're closing the gap on that. So recession, no money, free, coder girl. It was definitely something that appealed to me. So yeah, I jumped right in. And tell us a little bit more about the coder girl model. How does it work? So it's a six to 12 month cohort um, at the time that I was there, it was just a meetup, uh, which was really neat to just kind of get together with other like-minded women. But now it's a six to 12 month co cohort where they have tech skills, they pick a path that they want to do, whatever that is, um, in whatever language. So there's a lot of diversity in the languages that you can choose. And you go through the program, and at the end of the program, um, there's an apprenticeship uh, at a so many different employers uh, opportunities that we have 
at the end of this uh, cohort. So it's, it's a really neat program. Yeah. Can you tell the audience just briefly, what, is a, what does a coding and tech program like this mean for women and particularly women of color in St. Louis in that community? Economic freedom. Yeah. Um, so we all know about the, the wealth gap, right? So just imagine being at the bottom of that. And in, in, and in St. Louis, um, we really see it. So to have an opportunity like that, to be able to take care of your family, who doesn't want to be able to do that? You know, be able to buy a home or afford your car or whatever. I, there was no jobs that were out there that could afford me to take care of my family at the time. So it, it was freedom for me. Yeah, very important. And I noticed even looking on Launch Code's website, on average, it looks like people who participate in the program actually double their income, actually going Definitely the double your, so yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you definitely double, um, potentially triple. Um, most of the individuals that are in Launch Code are making under 30,000. Um, so coming out, you know, making 50 or 60,000 is like, whoa, what do I do with that? And then the potential, to go further is um, is just amazing. So, yeah. Thank you, mm -hmm. Lisa. Can you share the story with us about how you first learned about the Working Scholars Program and what your reaction was? Sure. So I've been on City Council now for this is my eighth year um, being on the City Council, second term, and I always knew I wanted my bachelor's degree. Didn't know how I was going to get it, and I was at a City Council meeting, um, and study.com was there and doing a presentation and they were telling me about this bachelor's degree program that was free um, mobile based that and i was like I, I need my degree like can i do that is that is it possible for me i'm sitting there going through my mind and uh, the person who is now my colleague who was sitting on the front row was like please don't leave before this meeting is over and the first thing i did is i i, I talked to him and said can an elected official go through this program and earn their degree and he's like sure um, and I'm so, so grateful that they came to the city council meeting. What were some of the reasons that this program appealed to you? Why did you want to do it? Sure, I'm a single mother of three young adults. And, you know, I entered the, the workforce when, during the dot-com era, where you could work your way into a position. Um, but as a mother, I knew I had to give my children the best opportunity to be successful. And in order to do that, I knew that education was important. When it came to education dollars, I invested in my children. I gave my son an opportunity to go to school. He figured he didn't want to go to school, and I was glad that he didn't waste money. My daughter, I have a daughter who graduated from Arizona State. My youngest daughter did her undergrad at Spelman College, and she got her master's degree from USC. I'm a mom that will be paying student debt for a very long time with my children. Um, and then my children started to encourage me to go to school. And as I looked at programs, I couldn't find a program that fit into my schedule as an elected official. Um, so that, that's why it was so important to find something that would allow me to be a mom, work a career, and be an elected official at the same time. So that, that's what was important. And at this point, was being mayor on your radar? Where were you at that process? No, when they came to talk to us, I was a city council member. Um, um, and we rotate the way that we do things in, in California. We're elected to council, and then the council will decide who will be in a leadership role. Um, so I remember I had signed up, and I was like, this is what I wanted to do, and I became the vice mayor. I was like, there are chances that I'm going to graduate from this program, and I'm going to be the mayor. But I knew that, first of all, I didn't know these opportunities don't come around that often, and so I was like, I'm going to do it. 
And it's a program that really was designed with the working adult in mind and allowed me to do all the things that I needed to do to be successful. And for those who aren't as familiar with the story, that is indeed what happened. You did become a mayor who was graduating from this program. So uh, just last year in um, August, I, as being the mayor of East Palo Alto, I'm the government affairs manager at study.com. I volunteer a great deal. I was able to earn my degree in bachelor's administration um, from Thomas Edison in New Jersey and so super excited. My kids were really excited as well. And since you now work for study.com, you're in a great position to tell us a little bit more about the Working Scholars model. Sure, the Working Scholars program um, uh, designed by, um, which is supported by our parent company, study.com, is really a model that is designed with the working adult in mind. We know that two of the largest barriers to education are time and money. So the fact that we can create a program that's mobile-based, online, on-demand, and in micro-lessons, which means that you don't fit into the college's schedule, you make it fit into your schedule. So I'm able to take classes whenever I have time. So after a council meeting, you're up and you can't go to sleep, you take classes. If you're traveling, you can take classes. Um, you know, you you, we do it in micro chunks, so you can take a, a lesson in five to 10 minutes. The program is designed to meet the learner the way that they learn. So if you are an audio learner, you can listen to the audio portion. If you learn better by reading a transcript, you can do that. There's also a video that's in, involved. At the end of that lesson, you take a five question quiz at which you have to pass at least with an 80% uh, before you move on to the next lesson. At the end, you string all of these class, these lessons together, and you take a final in a mic in a proctored environment where it's really it was scary at first, but it's really cool. They take a picture of your driver's license and of your face to make sure that the right student is sitting there taking the test, and then during the test, they're watching for eye movement, listening to background noise to make sure that you're doing it on your own. So. That's and, the thing. And just really briefly, can you tell us about uh, the partnerships with Working Scholars in um, the, the Bay Area region that allow certain communities to, to do the program at no cost? Sure. So we work with the philanthropic community and large organizations to raise money to allow some community members and underserved communities to go through the program at absolutely no cost to the student. But we also work with cities and organizations to utilize their existing tuition reimbursement programs to allow their staff members to upskill and be prepared for another career as well. Great. So Lisa did a great job getting us started with this next question, which is really about as, as working adults, it can be extremely challenging to juggle work and life obligations when you're also going through school. And yet all three of you completed the programs that you enrolled in. So um, Kim and Jenius in particular, what were some of the elements of the programs that you participated in that helped make it possible for you to complete them? Um, for me, uh, it was the flexibility on the schedule. Um, as was uh, online programs, it's easier to manage time because you don't have to follow a set schedule. You can just flex in, flex out, dedicate more time when you have more time and dedicate less when you have less. And uh, having a also flexible schedule at the job, it helps. So uh, I had the opportunity to have a flexible schedule when I was completing the programs. And also as it's an online basis, both programs, uh, the uh, high school program and the a college uh, program that I'm uh, taking now is uh, online based, so that, that helps. So my cohort was in the evening. So I was able to handle my day job and, 
and go in. But also we had online classes as well at the time that I was doing it. So there was tons of flexibility. In the daytime, I was able to go in sometimes, skip work and, <laughs> um, and you know, get some assistance, additional assistance. So there was a lot of flexibility there. Um, and Lisa, is there anything you didn't mention before that you wanted to add? You know, I, I, I covered some of the, the most important things, but the one, uh, one aspect that I didn't talk about was the fact that unlike traditional colleges where you go in, you better take good notes, copious notes while you're doing the class, through the Working Scholars Program, since we own all of the content, you're able to go back and watch those videos or take those lessons or listen to them again when needed. So that on-demand uh, aspect is really great. Mm -hmm. And some of your programs had a success coach or a mentor that was built in as, as part of the program. Can any of you speak to how that was a source of support as you were completing the program? Sure. So for me, we had uh, fellows that came from the surrounding universities. So Washington University uh, really supported us in our efforts. And uh, so we could always reach out to a student um, or a fellow uh, and get some assistance there. Yeah. Sure. And through the Working Scholars Program, each student that's enrolled into the Working Scholars Program is assigned a success coach who really helps with degree mapping. You know, they help you, you bring in your transcript, they'll look at your transcript and make sure that everything is mapping towards your degree so you're not taking classes that you don't necessarily need to take. And then they keep you on track. You know, they will contact you the way that you need to be contacted, phone, text, email, to make sure that your ultimate goal is to, to complete it and, and get a degree. Yes, um, the programs that I, that I uh, went through, they also have a, a mentoring or coach that they will be calling you, they will be sending you emails, yes, to, to help you to keep in pace. Something that I would like to add uh, to the, the uh, why, what do you make it easy uh, for these programs when it comes to English Under the Arches is that it is at not cost, but also you get paid while you're taking the classes. Mm -hmm. That's the only programs under Archway to Opportunity work as is face-to-face uh, -face or over the phone, you don't have, it is not uh, online. So you have to be in a set uh, day and time because there is a teacher over the phone who is helping you to achieve those uh, language skills with English, so you get paid for it. So you get paid the time that you spend in classes, that which is good. I can see how that would really yeah, be that, that, that was good. <laughs> that was good. So even with support, completing education training programs as an adult can be challenging. And so I'm going to ask each of you to share one or two challenges or things that you struggled with while you were completing the program that would be helpful for all of us in, in the room to understand. So from my employer, from the employer perspective, um, some of the challenges well, am I going to jump into my apprenticeship? I'll jump into mm -hmm. my apprenticeship. So, um, so when I was doing my apprenticeship, there was different costs that, um, like parking downtown St. Louis was very expensive. I couldn't afford that um, because I was making apprenticeship money. Um, and so that was something that I felt if an employer could help cover that. Um, medical benefits also is very very important because you're in that gap you still need your health mm -hmm. uh, need to be able to see a doctor uh, so those are some things to think about um, so I, I would say those were some economic challenges that that i had yeah. sure and i can i can go you know when you think about adult learning and adults who are going back to 
to school, <laughs> you haven't been in a math class in a long time, and you, you probably need help with writing to a metric, um, um, to a rubric to make sure that you're doing the right thing. So to, to make sure that those so that support is there, to, to, so when you're onboarding, you're onboarding in the right place and you're as successful as possible. I've also seen some adults who have small children. Where do you take a, a test when you need to take a test? How do you make sure you're going to be available and have time for that? So setting up those, really those supports ahead of time to really make sure that um, individuals can be successful throughout the program. Now, I'd like to add, Launch Code actually has that now with Coder Girl. So there are some uh, in-place childcare. So that's huge. And when we talked about women of color, you, the type of jobs that you see in St. Louis for women of color, I mean, these are, you know, the job, I want to say the skill set sometimes is it's a job where you're going to need a lot of support around it. You know, it's not going to necessarily be that typical nine to five, you know, so having that opportunity to take the kids there and, and, and get that support is really, really big. So, I mean, if employers can just jump into whatever they can give, I think when you have the individuals who are trying uh, from an economic standpoint, if you can support economically in any way, I think those that's of a great benefit. And can I add one more thing? Absolutely. So when you also when you think about some of the barriers, we've already know that economically money is, can be a, bar a barrier. So when you have tuition reimbursement models that require that the employee pays $5,000, whatever that cost is up front, that can be a barrier still. So you can have a program in place, but then it's underutilized because they still can't afford if you know, if you just have to decide if I'm going to pay for medicine, food, or daycare, I'm going to do the things that I need to do, but while I still need to be educated. So thinking about how you make it where it's accessible. And I would say that that's something that we, we see in our work and that we're thinking about as well is how can you increase utilization of some of these education benefits? And part of it has to do with the design and making sure that it's designed in a way that's working for the people who are going to be using it. So right. mm -hmm. that's a truly important point as well. Yeah. And so, Jenny, same question for you. What, what were things that were challenging? And if there were, were things that were helpful as you were <laughs> going through those challenges, that would be helpful to know as well. Yes, uh, for me, were some courses that were that were like more challenging than others, and uh, mostly when I had to do some writings or um, uh, some essays and uh, projects, and I had to edit and send some uh, paragraph. Um, one of my biggest uh, challenges grammar. So I was facing. You know, I had to. I remember that I had to uh, submit a project five times, mm -hmm. and I couldn't master. I didn't give up. So uh, as my uh, coach, um, she noticed that I have problem with grammar. So what she called me and she said, uh, the way that I can help you is I can refer you to a program online that which is called Grammarly that can help you to, um, to overcome this, uh, this barrier. So you will be learning more about um, grammar. We also have a uh, private discussion, discussion uh, panel where you get with another fellow, as she was saying earlier, uh, and you also have like a, um, a professional on that area that you have uh, more opportunities. So that helped me having that coach that helped me to overcome the, the challenge that I faced with grammar at the beginning. 
great. So it sounds like some academic challenges, but also some supports that the yes. program had in place to really help you complete and be successful. Yes, great. So something that I really, I think, learned more from speaking with each of you is that there are a range of benefits that can accrue from participating in these types of programs. So often we're focused on the economic benefits, which are truly important. There are personal benefits as well. Um, and so could you each describe just sort of the range of benefits and the value that you've gotten out of participating in these programs, including how they've impacted your lives. So both the economic and the personal as well. Sure. Yeah, I'm gonna jump in and say self-esteem. I mean, and, and the confidence, you know, like, I belong here. That that's so paramount. I, you know, especially for women, it's something when you're going through a hard time and you have no money, um, you're just not in the room on on anything. You can't go to a mortgage company and say, you know, I I have this job, I have this money, I can buy this house. Um, you you just don't have what you need. So, I mean, let's just be real. I mean, we live in a world that every a lot of things are driven by money. And without it, you just can't have the conversations you need and, and to put your kids ahead. So I think for me, it really uh, gave me quite a bit of self-esteem. Um, I could be the mother to my girls that I wanted to be. Um, I could buy the things that I wanted to buy. Uh, so uh, that was a big part of it. That was a, a huge benefit. And then obviously having the the economic benefit, of course, yeah. So let's let's just talk a little bit more about that briefly. So you had an apprenticeship program, and mm -hmm. can you tell us what happens? Yeah, so the apprenticeship program, CS50, I don't know if anyone's familiar, uh, it's a Harvard class, and I'll just throw Mark Zuckerberg there. Uh, that was the class that he first took when he went to Harvard, from my understanding. So that just gives a, an example of the challenge that that class was. Uh, so. I was in the class about four months, which isn't really a long time. Um, felt like it, felt like eternity. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but I was in there four months before I was uh, given an opportunity. Uh, but it was, yeah, it was very challenging. Like I said, I did skip work, hi employer, wherever you are. Um, yeah, I mean, three days a week I did. I, I had a sales job. I would hit my quota, come in in the morning, get it, get my backpack and I was on my way so I could I get some help. So um, I was very serious, very focused on that apprenticeship. Uh, it's a wonderful opportunity. It's amazing that uh, Launch Code offers that, uh, filling the tech gap. You know, you could take so many different languages. Um, yeah, it, it, it's, it's just an awesome thing to have. So, oh, and, and my apprenticeship with my mentor at the Federal Reserve, okay, um, that was a great opportunity. I had a mentor at the Federal Reserve. Uh, in I had St. Louis. The, in St. Louis, and I had the option to either be a developer or a project manager. Uh, so I, I do have my development skills still, uh, but I opted for project management. And they paired me up with an individual who helped me every day learn the basics of project management. So. Yeah, that was a wonderful opportunity, and I have been promoted a, a couple times in the past year, actually, very fast track. And uh, at, at the Federal at Reserve, the Federal in Reserve in St. Louis, yeah. 
Um, so, and then I've gone on Scrum Master and I have different certifications and I can have all the training that I need. So yeah, it's, it's, it's awesome. Yeah. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Sure. And so for me, my, my, my benefit, let's start with what happened earlier. I had worked for a venture capital firm for about 10 years and the company moved from San Francisco to Boston and I didn't move with the company. I started looking for work. And even though I had 10 years of experience, there are companies that wouldn't even consider me because I didn't have my bachelor's degree. And I was like, okay, that's never going to happen to me again. Um, then there were, there were times when, um, the benefit, I was going through the program um, and I was called to study.com for a meeting. And at the end of the meeting, I was like, why did that feel like an interview? Why did it change from those questions or the questions started to seem like they wanted to know how I was getting through the program? How was it working for me? That turned into a job and I now work for the company as their government affairs manager. Um, also as an elected official, I remember being newly elected and um, there was assembly. Uh, yeah, I was new, newly elected, but um, there was a assemblyman who was terming out of the assembly and in the paper, you know, they try to do their projections of who's going to be in line for this position. And my name was in the paper. And I said, there were five names of individuals who could go for that, that role. And I was like, I don't have my bachelor's degree. I don't want to put myself out there like that. So being able to go through the program that allowed me to go through and earn my degree, I'm now saying that Yes, I'm qualified for those jobs. Never will a, jo a door be closed to me because I don't have my bachelor's degree. And if somebody decides, if I decide to move to the next level in my political career, I'm prepared and I won't be afraid to stand before somebody and say I don't have my education. Some just really incredible career benefits, both in terms of your your day-to-day -day work and also your civic and political sure. career. What did it mean for your family for you to complete? Oh this my program? goodness! You know, my son who said he didn't want to go to school, he was like, "It's not for me." You know, I, he he later came to me and said, "Mom, do you think I can do it?" So then he was like, "I'm ready to go back to school." So we took a data anal analytics class together. Um, we didn't complete it because I was trying to do everything to finish, but you know, he's ready to go back to school. And I'm telling you as a mom, I'm going to be by his side all the way to the end to make sure that he finishes. If it means I have to continue to take classes, I'm going to continue to take <laughs> classes with him because he's going to cross that stage. Wonderful. Jenny. Um, in my personal experience, um, starting with a personal side, uh, you know, just being able to have a conversation, that's something great for me. So achieving something that I can feel pride on. So I graduated from high school. I am sure that I will do from the, um, the college. And that's something that I'm doing for myself. Uh, then uh, when it comes to professionally, um, a person who moves from kitchen within just less than five years, uh, you know, from a chief, to a chief manager, then moving up to be a general manager, being able to run a restaurant, then after that, now I'm overseeing uh, training programs for 15 restaurants. That's something that I wouldn't imagine at the beginning that I could do. Because uh, one of the, the major um, things that we need is education, the which uh, I didn't have it at the beginning. So uh, going through these programs uh, provide me all the skills that I need to perform the job. And I ensure that I can do now anything that I want to do because I get the opportunities that I needed at the beginning. So it's yes to take that opportunity so you can put just a little bit of effort 
and I'm so glad that I came to McDonald's first. So we're going to move into questions soon. So if you're sitting in the audience, I would start thinking about your questions for our amazing panelists. But I do have one more question for, for all of you. There are so many nuggets uh, and insights that you shared throughout these, this conversation that can be useful for em employers when they're thinking about the design of their own program. But is there something else you haven't mentioned or something that you want to reiterate? Uh, re really just one, one piece of advice you would have for employers in the room or who are watching on live stream about um, the design of their upskilling program? I'd, okay, okay. <laughs> I, I wanted to say, just be open to diverse candidates. And in that, and what I mean is not everyone is gonna have, like Lisa stated, you know, a traditional bachelor degree. Um, in tech now, you don't necessarily need that uh, to be able to, you know, you just need the aptitude and you need the desire. So when you're making your job requirements and it says five plus years of Java, you don't necessarily need that. Give someone an opportunity that has zero years, but they have the aptitude. And, and the skills. And, and the skills. They, again, especially coming from Launch Code, they're prepared. Uh, if you structure it with a mentor uh, system, I think that, that that would be very helpful uh, to that individual coming in and kind of show them the ropes. Uh, from my understanding in St. Louis, companies look for launch code on the resumes now because we're coming in prepared um, for what they need. I, and you know, these are, there's a vast group of people like you have anyone that was stocking groceries to doctors that have gone through the program because they just wanted to change. So they're bringing a lot of diverse perspective too to the organization that I think it's going to help with, you know, collaboration, you know, because you're not just getting that one same group think type of mentality in the room. So that's definitely a recommendation as we're going forward and things are becoming more automated, more technical. Um, that standard job requirement no longer, I think, applies to today's industry. So really for hiring managers, thinking about those competencies and skills and not necessarily that bachelor's degree or those many years of experience is really an opportunity to diversify who's working in your organization and get those great range of perspectives that can make a company really thrive. Right, and I'm sorry, I just wanna add that Launch Code also has soft skills uh, that's being taught. I know Reg, he mentioned I, it's an experience thing. It is an experience, but some individuals haven't been introduced to that experience even. So that is something else that they um, offer is, is soft skills. So, you know, I, I just think it's a wonderful model for anyone that's trying to fill a tech gap in their in their organization. Great. And for me, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna reiterate. We have tuition reimbursement models that are being underutilized. They're underutilized because they're not removing the necessary barriers. If someone still has to come out of their pocket and they have limited income, they're not going to school. So how do we change that from a tuition reimbursement model to a, maybe a tuition assistance model where some of those fees are paid up front? And then also we have to remember that when you lose an employee, it's not just the, the cost to um, recruit someone else, but there's institutional knowledge that's walking out the door every day that we're saying we're not gonna invest in our employees. 
Yeah, so retention is important. So having a reskilling uh, model in, in your organization is very uh, important. I know with LaunchCo, that's something else that LaunchCo does is they'll go into an organization and help those uh, individuals reskill, get the latest technology. So um, I, I agree with Lisa, you're, you're losing that legendary skill set. Uh, so you want to invest and we're getting, we're all getting older, but the, it appears to me that the workforce is getting older as well, which means that, you know, we want to keep retooling and reskilling as well. So, yeah. Jenny, since we're running a little short on, we're eating into our time for audience questions. So do you have just a quick, something quick to add? Um, I'm, from my experience, I think McDonald's has uh, a good model of uh, educational program because uh, it's not a reimbursement uh, um, uh, base, uh, it's, it's more uh, assistance. So you get the money first before you get any money out of your pocket. So you are going to get the assistance first. So they are, they are going to pay for the program first. We have a schedule flexibility for students. We are willing to pay for someone who wants to take uh, English under the arches classes. So we pay for the time that they spend uh, on cl taking classes. So I think uh, this uh, type of program will, will be very beneficial to any uh, employer because uh, as they were mentioned, um, retention is, uh, is a issue nationwide. And everywhere that we go, every company is facing retention uh, issues. And with just developing programs uh, that can help to education, for education to, uh, to employees can help also with retention. Thank you. So we're going to pause there. We have time for just a few questions. Additionally, if you're watching via live, screen, live stream, you can ask a question using the hashtag upskilling. We have a very eager gentleman right in the front. <laughs> Yeah, I, I was eager because I thought it's interesting that all three of you are at some level involved with, you know, you're, you're employed by McDonald's. You did your apprentice with the same Fedors or that's in St. Louis, and you did it with Working Scholars and Study.com, and you're still all interfacing with those entities from an employment perspective. That's three for three. That's a good ROI. So how did that impact your decision to stay at that company or entity that was involved in educating you? Yeah, I, 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 I can do it. <laughs> um, from my experience, my decision is based on uh, values. I want to stay in a company who is not yet worried about uh, profit who is worried about the development of the employees, of the people that is working for them. So even if I don't get, uh, you know, uh, probably if another company comes trying to recruit me and offer me more money, I will still stay with McDonald's, regardless of the difference of the, the income, because of the values that McDonald's has. And someone who, who never been uh, an employee for McDonald's probably will have a different ideas of what McDonald's is about, but I can tell you that it is a company with great values for the employees and development of the team. <laughs> so I'll say for the, oh, I'll say for the Federal Reserve, um, they invest in their people as well. So I have had an unlimited amount of 
training that I could take, uh, no matter what I wanted to be um, in the tech sector, they have been very supportive of that. Uh, so if I want to go to California and, and, and take a, go to a conference or anything like that, uh, they've been very supportive. And as we all know in tech, like it's very important to stay up on your skills. It's constantly changing. So with that support, uh, it makes it easy to stay there. Yeah. Yeah. So, and the same thing. I work for an amazing company. They give me the ability to earn my degree. But not only that, as an elected official, I want to make a difference in my community. And I know that I go to work. I don't feel like I'm going to work every day because I'm going to work and I'm able to impact underserved communities to make sure that they're earning degrees. I'm working with companies and cities and changing the trajectory of many lives. People are willing to change, are able to change their economic mobility because of the program that we offer. So we have just a few more minutes, so we're going to take a few questions and then our different panelists will be able to, to choose which questions to respond to. And then Dan, if we have any questions from the live stream, we can take, okay. This gentleman right over here. Oops, yes, a uh, question for uh, Lisa and the other panel. When you took classes, right, what kind of classes did you take as far as your major concern? Sure. So for me, I had to take like the major business classes. And then the capstone where, um, I, again, I graduated from Thomas Edison. I had to take a capstone course that culminated and showed all of the skills that I had learned. So um, one of the, I had to do case studies where I had to write a lot. And my last paper was a 21 page paper where I had a, I, I chose a company, Lockheed. So there was a question about Lockheed. What would you do if Lockheed lost their missile contract? And how would I tell the CEO or the C staff what direction the company could go into? So I had to write about what I learned and what I would, what recommendations I would, I would give. But there were a lot of other courses that were designed around the, 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 the business aspect. But if you're in data analytics, there are a lot of things that Working Scholars offers. We own all of our course, courseware, so we have. Uh, quite a few courses to help individuals. I think we have time for just one more question. So your personal experiences are deeply inspiring and they underscore the American ideal that if you work hard, you can succeed. When I think about life and what I see in our local community, for example, the people at the Central Pennsylvania Food Bank receiving emergency food, 60% are working families. Mm -hmm. So when I think about quality jobs, education is part of it, wages is another. When you think about your communities, how do you think about the wage issue? Do you want me to start with that? Sure. So I, I, I live in California, so, and I lived uh, in East Palo Alto. We sit in the middle of such wealth in Silicon Valley. And so I see our individuals being displaced all the time. Gentrification is something that's real. So to have the opportunity where we can make an impact and make a difference, there are service workers who are going through the Working Scholars Program still working, but going through the program with the idea that on the, on the other end, they're gonna be able to increase their economic mobility and stay within the community. That's what excites me, right? Those are the things that are exciting when you're able to change somebody's life or in a program is set up and those, those micro lessons or that packaged in a manner that allows somebody to still be a mother or a father or work and all those other things, but still in the end, there's a difference for them. So, and I see, like I said, in, in East Palo Alto, it's, a, it's something that worries me every day. How do I keep people who want to stay in East Palo Alto in East Palo Alto? 
fortunately for me, I see the the change in St. Louis. It's a major change that we're having as we're filling the tech gaps. Um, as Launch Code is spreading across the St. Louis area, we're creating tech hubs. We also have some of the uh, the lower cost of living in St. Louis, so that's very attractive to employers. Uh, so I agree with Lisa. It, it feels very good to see the change. And structurally, we see change. You know, buildings going up, new tech offices. Um, it, so it really, really means a lot to have those opportunities in the community. Yeah. Well, I just want to thank all three of you so much for joining us here today. As um, was said by the audience, your stories are just incredibly inspiring. Thank you. And um, we, we really appreciate Jamie, you joining us. Thank you. Thank you.